day, and hopefully if you are visiting with us, you'll be able to stay. Um, don't worry about if you brought anything or not. We would just love to have you, to host you. We'd love to participate together in fellowship. Um, we believe that the church is meant to be a community. We don't just come and gather on Sunday mornings, but we gather to share the good news of the gospel in our lives with each other so that we can go out from here to the world. But in order to do that, we need to be strengthened and build each other up. And so um, potlucks are just not accidental. We do this because we want to build each other up in love. We want to get to know each other. We want to encourage one another all the more while it's called today. So uh, I want to encourage you to stay. Uh, whether you plan for that or not, we'd love to have you. We'd love to fellowship with you, to get to know you so that we can together serve the Lord um, with gladness. So turn your Bibles to chapter 5 of Judges. We are continuing in our series in the book of Judges. This is really part 2. Part 1 was Judges 4. Part 2 is Judges 5. Part 1 was the account of what happened. It was the story of this, this great battle, this, this victory that God won through his servants, through his leaders. And there was this heroic woman, this wise woman that God used to, to proclaim his word. And then we saw really that, that God raised up this faith-filled man, Barak. And then, and then we also saw that, that God used this woman in her home to crush the enemy. And so now what we see is a song about this to declare what God has done. And the focus is a little different, but... It's looking back to chapter 4. So let's read Judges verse, chapter 5 together. Now, if you can picture this, this is a song that they would have sung in the congregation, not, not kind of what we sang this morning. I, I love that we sing a lot of content, but, but thankfully, we don't, probably not this long, right? So, but this was a song that they sang in the context of the congregation to remind themselves of the truth, to remind themselves of what God had done, and then to focus themselves in response. So let's read it that way. Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day, that the leaders took lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly. Bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled, the heavens dropped, yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. The travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. When new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. Was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. Tell of it, you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, and you who walk by the way to the sound of the musicians at the watering places. There they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord, the righteous triumphs of his villagers in Israel. Then down to the gates marched the people of the Lord. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, break out in song, arise, Barak, lead away your captives, O son of Abinoam. Then down marched the remnant of the noble. The people of the Lord marched down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim, their root, they marched down into the valley, following you, Benjamin, with your kinsmen. From Machir, marched down the commanders. From Zebulun, those who bear lieutenant staff, the princes of Issachar, came with Deborah and Issachar, faithful to Barak. Into the valley, they rushed at his heels. Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Why did you sit still among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks? 
Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he stay with the ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. Zebulun is the people who risked their lives to the death. Naphtali, too, on the heights of the field. The kings came, they fought. Then fought the kings of Canaan at Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They, they got no spoils of silver. From heaven, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The torrent Kaishan swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kaishan, march on my soul with might. Then loud beat the horse's hooves with the galloping, galloping of his steeds. Curse Miraz, says the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants thoroughly because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of women, BJL, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women, most blessed. She asked, he asked water and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he sank. He fell. He lay still. Between her feet he sank. He fell where he sank. There he fell dead. Out of the window she peered, the mother of Sisera wailed to the latter, why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots? Her wisest princesses answer, indeed she answers herself, have they not found the divided spoil? A womb or two for every man, spoil of dyed materials for Sisera, spoil of dyed materials embroidered, two pieces of dyed work embroidered for the neck of spoil? So may all your enemies perish, O Lord. But your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. And the land had rest for 40 years. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would learn from this song. I pray that we would learn from remembering these deeds, from remembering what you are drawing your, our attention to, that, that you would call us to action and response. Lord, that this, this song would motivate our hearts and minds. It would stir us up to respond to you, Lord, to follow you, to worship you. God, I pray this by your Holy Spirit, that you would enliven each and every one of us here. Lord, if the rain has made us sleepy, Lord, would you wake us up? Lord, if, if the rain has made our hearts and minds dull, if, if circumstances in life have made our hearts and minds dull to you, Lord, would you just enliven us this morning, we pray, by your Spirit. Give grace to those who hear and give grace to me to preach. In Jesus' name, amen. Back in 1984, I was a young Man, I won't say how old I was so that you can be left guessing. But there is a guy named Steve Taylor, and he wrote a song called Hero. And it goes like this. It says, when the house fell asleep, there was always a light, and it fell from the page to the eyes of an American boy. In a storybook land, I could dream what I read. When it went to my head, I'd see, I want to be a hero. But the practical side said the question was still, when you grow up, what will you be? I want to be a hero. Hero, it's a nice boy notion that the real world is going to destroy. You know, it's a Marvel comic book, Saturday matinee fairy tale boy. Growing older, you find that illusions are bought and the idol you thought you'd be was just another zero. I, I want to be a hero. I don't know many children who don't want to be heroes. They, they, they love that. We talked about last week how we love hero stories and we looked for the hero. We saw that the true hero was Christ. But yet, there's something in us that we want to follow that example. We want to be like that. We want heroes. Last week, we saw that Judges 4 talked about this cruel oppressor, Sisera, and how he was crushing the people. 
He was mighty. He had 900 chariots of iron and, and a large army. And it seemed impossible. And yet, yet God raised up Deborah by his word. And, and Deborah, through God's word, calls Barak. And Barak responds. And he wants God's presence and God's word to go with him. So Barak goes out and the people follow close at heels. And, and then we saw, though, that really the ultimate hero, the ultimate focus of the story was God and today what we have is 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 a recap of the story but told in a different way with a different emphasis and different aspects you might be wondering why a song well it's because you know what songs do is songs inspire us songs stir up our emotions songs call us to response the the best songs inspire us that's why we have college football fight songs that's why we have national anthems that's why we have inspirational songs that affect us in different periods of life. My wife loves country songs that tell sad stories. I like U2 and Peter Gabriel and Andrew Lloyd Webber, songs that, that tell different stories. And if you think about it, what's, what's your favorite song? What's your favorite song and, and what story does it tell? You see, I think we're meant to see that, that our favorite songs really are songs of God's deliverance or songs of, of the story of how God uses us. God, God raises up his people. He raises up leaders. He raises up people to follow him and that God is the one doing the work. And isn't that really the song that we closed with right before I came up? Songs of the victory of Christ and that's the victory that we stand in. We sing because it reminds us of what's important. We sing because it sticks with us. You know, fortunately and unfortunately, I have songs stuck in my head, some I want to forget, some I hope I never will. When you read stories like this, there's some things that are meant to stick in our heads. The, the, the biggest overarching thing we're meant to see is that it's really a song about how God raises up people to, to carry out his plans for his glory. That's what God is about. He's, he's about raising up people to carry out his plans, and he's doing it for his glory. Not because God is self-centered in the sense of he, he, he's all interested in himself and doesn't care about people. No, he cares about us, and that's why he's self-interested, because really what is our best is seeing God, seeing him as the hero of our story. In the opening line, it talks about how Deborah and Barak, they sang on that day this epic battle. It was a great day of God's salvation from their enemy overlord. And so they burst into song in response. Now, I don't know who wrote what portion of the song. Deborah probably wrote a portion of it. Barak wrote a portion of it. And you can see that in some of the, the first person narrative. And they wrote about this battle that had ultimately been won. It was, it was a battle that was a once and for all salvation, but it, it also looked forward to God's continuing salvation. That's, it's kind of like in the Exodus when, when God delivers his people through the Red Sea. He, Moses parts the Red Sea, the people follow through, and then God causes the waves to crash down. And then right afterwards, you see that, that Moses' sister Miriam, she, she bursts into song as she sings about God's work and all that he had done and how they are following this great God. It was a call to remember and this is as epic as that. Verses 2 to 5, they act like a summary of the song really. If you look down your Bibles, it talks about, it says the leaders lead, led in Israel, the leaders lead in Israel and the peoples offer themselves willingly and bless the Lord. And then it talks about God getting the glory. He says, Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing. I'll make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. It talks about the Lord marching out. And, and what do we see? Is we see that this song is about God who raises up people to carry out his plans for his glory. 
And there's really three emphasis in this, in this song that you really see in those verses. In, in verses two to, uh, 2 to 5 there, there's, there's three aspects that you see. The first one is that God raises up leaders to lead in a battle. And, and that's the story all throughout the Bible from the very beginning to the very end. God is about raising up leaders to lead people. In this case, he leads people into battle. And then we see that God raises up people to offer themselves willingly to fight. There's something... It's beautiful when people offer themselves up willingly. Willing service. And that's what God seeks. Those who, who willingly come, willingly worship him, willingly respond to him. And that's what we see. And then, and then the other thing we see in this is that God is the ultimate warrior. And there's really three, those three aspects we're going to unpack. But the best songs, they tell stories. And the best songs tell true stories. So we can see what's important. So we can see how we're meant to respond, to be inspired to respond. And, and this first thing we see is that God raises up leaders to lead into battle. And, and Deborah and Barak, they sing about that. They say that the leaders took lead in Israel. That the leaders took lead in Israel. And actually, the, the, the literal wording there is that the long-haired led. And this doesn't mean that you have to be long-haired to be a leader. Doesn't mean you have to grow your hair out. It was a euphemism for those, those people who were, who were like they were long-haired in the sense that they were de- dedicated themselves, just like we'll see later Samson had dedicated himself as a, as a Nazarite. He made a vow. These people have that kind of devotion to God. They have a long-haired kind of devotion. They have a Nazarite kind of devotion. They are, they are leaders who are devoted to God. And they lead. And, and, and who do you see here is that, that gets the credit? Deborah and Barak, they're giving all the credit for the victory to God. They see that it's, it's God who raises up leaders to lead. And it's a call to worship and response. And, and this is kind of a song that we would hear in the book of Psalms. And, and, and it says, Hero Kings, listen. It tells of the circumstances then before God raised up the leaders in, in verses 6 through 8. It tells of what things looked like before God raised up leaders. And so we, we see there's a need for godly leaders. There's a need for God, not godly leaders not only that day, but there's a lead, need for godly leaders today. And it tells about these dire circumstances. The highways were abandoned. What does it mean? It means that things weren't safe to travel out in the open for fear of being robbed Maybe you don't think we need leaders, but that's not the story of the Bible. A leaderless people is not a good thing. Sheep without a shepherd, they get lost. The people were helpless here. They were, they were leaderless. They were demoralized. They were, they were villagers. They were, they were people of unwalled villages ceased, it says. What, it, what that means is that people weren't able just to live out in the open anymore. They had to live behind walls because it just wasn't safe. Leaderlessness is a curse. It's not a blessing. And the writers of this song are drawing attention to God, how he's using all kinds of leaders to rescue his people. He uses Shamgar. Now, we didn't cover that. It was just one verse in verse 31 of the previous chapter. But he uses Shamgar. That's what this song's referring back to. He was an unlikely leader. He was a Canaanite. And God raised him up to champion his cause. And he takes this implement and kills 600 people with his own hand. We see Jael, she's the wife of a man who had made a truce with God's people's enemy. And God raised them up to to lead. They were were fearful. The people were fearful and hopeless. It says, you know, when there's 40,000 people in Israel, where was a spear? Where was a shield? What that means is the people were so demoralized, 
by their lack of leadership, that they weren't even making weaponry. They weren't even making armor. They weren't even fighting. God raises up his leaders to lead, to call to battle. Before Deborah says the people couldn't go out, before Deborah's rising to proclaim God's words, to call people to God's word, to, to call people by his word into battle, before that, things were a mess. And isn't that true? We need God to lead us by his word. We come on Sunday mornings because we need to hear God's word proclaimed. We need to have someone lead us in song to remind us of the things of God. We need to be led into the battle that we face each and every day. The battle, though, that we face with God's word and with his power. She praises, look at it down in verse 9, it says, My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offer themselves willingly. The leaders here, they were acting like an example, and that's important as well, too. So leaders aren't to be lording over the people. They aren't to be dominating. They're not to be controlling, but they're to lead by example. And so the leaders offer themselves willingly among the people. And I love this picture. There's lawgivers or governors that offer themselves. And you have all kinds of different levels of leaders. And they put their own necks at risk for the sake of the people. They offer themselves willingly. It's this picture of putting their necks out there. Because you know what? Leadership is risky. And God calls people to, to lead for him, to, to, to lead in willing ways, to lead in risky ways, risking themselves for him and for his kingdom. And then it talks about this, this beautiful picture in, in verses 14 and 15. It talks about commanders coming down. It says, from Machir marched down the commanders. From Zebulon, those who bear the lieutenant's staff. Or there's actually the, the club of a secretary. Those who wield a commanding club. Those who wielded the lieutenant's staff. The chieftains and the princes of each tribe that came down to Deborah. Those who responded to fight against evil with all diligence. They're commended. And, and the leaders of Zebulon and Naphtali are praised as well. But here's something to note. There's, there's no leaders mentioned from the tribes of Reuben or Gilead or Dan or Asher or several other tribes that just aren't even in the picture. How are we respond to a song like this? We, we, when, when we hear great songs, we're meant to respond. We're meant to be called, to be inspired by that song. And so this song is no different. We're meant to be inspired that, that God raises up leaders. We need leaders and that we should be grateful to God for leaders. But also what's meant to inspire those of saying, hey, wait a minute, maybe God's calling me. Maybe God's calling you to be a, the kind of leader who calls people to him, who responds to his word in faith. Thank God for leaders. We... Two Fridays, not this past Friday, but the Friday before last, Friday and Saturday of that week, we, we gathered most of our leaders in our church for a retreat. And we specifically talked about how can we serve God's people through practically through leading. And, and it was beautiful to see that, that people were giving of their time. They were volunteer, voluntarily there. They were leading willingly. They were there to serve God's people because they wanted to grow in leading God's people into God's word, into responding to his word. We have people leading all kinds of ways in the church. We have people leading in, in children's ministry. We have people leading in, in setup. We have people leading in sound. We have people leading in song. We have people leading in administration. We have people leading in ushering and, and all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff. We have, we have people taking the lead in, in countless ways. We have small group leaders leading there. We have ministry team leaders. And, and we are grateful because without leaders, we wouldn't be driving towards what God's calling us to, towards our mission. And we're grateful. But we don't think we're done with the leaders we have either, by the way. We're called to respond. So the question for all of us is, you know, how is God calling you to lead? How are you called to lead? Maybe, maybe you're just called to lead yourself. Everyone here is called to do that. 
to lead your own thoughts, to lead your mind, to lead yourself to God's word. To, to Maybe some are called to lead in the home. Some are called to lead in the workplace or in school, the marketplace around us, or some are called to lead in the church. And to, all of us are called to lead into this battle that, that Christ has commissioned us into. You know, sometimes we don't like to use battle terminology because it seems very aggressive. In an, in an age where you have these enemy combatants, where you have people who are militant, where you're like, I don't want to go into battle. But you know what? That wasn't the case 100 years ago. Christians saw themselves as in a battle against principalities and powers and wickedness in high places. There's an epic battle that, that rages throughout the Bible. Now, ultimately, we know the end of the story has already been written, but there is a battle each and every day that all of us are called to. We're called to, to battle against sin. We're called to battle against unbelief. We're called to, to battle against evil and wickedness. We're, we're called to battle against those principalities and powers and wickedness in high places. Now, we're not to battle against people physically in the church. That's not what we're called to. But the question is, how are we responding or how are we leading ourselves or others? Who are you leading? Where are you leading? And so when we, when we hear a song, we're meant to respond and it's meant to get us to think. The leaders took the lead in Israel. The people offered themselves willingly. They're praising God, not just for the leaders, but you see the second half of that, they're, they're for the fact that the people offered themselves willingly. And, it, and it's, it's extolling this because God raises up people to offer themselves willingly in the fight. That's what God's doing. That's what God has always been about. He's, he's raising up people who, who will give of themselves willingly into the fight that he's calling us to. You know, there was a, a movie about an epic battle. It was called Avengers Endgame. Whether you like Marvel or not, it grossed a lot of money. It, it, it made $2.7 billion. And, and you might think of the big names who were involved in the movie, the, the stars. And I, I can't even remember all of them. There's, I don't know, 10 or 12. I, I, I lost count. But you remember the big names. You remember the person that you find most appealing, the kind of hero you want to be, the kind of leader you want to be, the kind of battler or fighter you want to be. Battler, I made that word up just now. But did you know there, there was 14,000 visual effects artists who worked on that movie? 14,000. It was the biggest staff of any movie of all time. 14,000 just on visual effects. And I, I think there was like 2,500 people who worked on other aspects of the film. So there's about 16,000 people who worked on that film. Now, let me ask you, how many of those people do you remember? How many of those names do you know? I doubt, unless you are one of those names, I doubt that you remember any of those 16,000 names. You know, many, many, many years ago, 15, 16, 17 years ago, I worked for a gaming company and I was an IT director, but you know, I was listed in the credits, but I don't think anybody ever remembered my name. You know, IT is important, it's, it's good to support Visual effects are important. They're good to support all those different categories, artists and makeup people and stunts people and all those other people who are needed for a movie. They're important, even if they're not remembered. You know why? Because the movie couldn't have been done without them. There would be no movie without those 14,000 visual effects artists, even though they're not named, and they were important. So you see here that, that God actually works through people who aren't named, who aren't listed. He does glorious things through Average people doing ordinary things in daily life. 
as they respond to him. And he raises up people to offer themselves willingly in a fight. You might not be listed in the credits, but God's using you as you offer yourself willingly to bring about great victory. And each and every one of us is needed. No matter what our role is, we're needed. And they, they, they sing of this. They, they talk about singing of it to rich and the poor, to those who ride on white donkeys and, and sit on carpets. And they say, sing of it everywhere, to the, to the musicians at the watering places. Repeat the righteous, look in verse 11, the righteous triumphs of the Lord, the righteous triumph of his villagers in Israel. And that, that word for villagers, it's, it's, it's ordinary people. Because God uses ordinary people to respond. And how does it look at those things? It says, those righteous triumphs of these ordinary people in Israel. God raises up ordinary people to respond to him willingly. And those are righteous triumphs. The volunteers, they go down with Barak. They were just a remnant. I look, look down in verse Verse 11, he says, Barak, lead away your captives. He says, then down in verse 13, then down marched the remnant of the nobles. These, these really were those who were the, the leftovers, the survivors is the literal word there. They're survivors. They marched against the nobles. So God's even using those who are just, they're just surviving. But they're offering themselves willingly. Don't think that God can't use you because you feel like you're just surviving. You're just a remnant. Because you know what? That's, that's who God uses. That's who God does glorious things through. God does mighty works through ordinary survivors, through his remnant. God's power is made manifest in weakness. The question is, do you remember that you're the people of the Lord? Do you remember that God uses those who are weak? Or do you sit idly by you see, in verses 15 to 17, it, it looks on people with derision, not people who, because of their abilities, but people because of their inaction. Those who sat idly by and didn't participate, they're mocked. And the question in verse 16 is, it's likely one of angry disbelief. It's like, why did you, Reuben, sit still among the sheepfolds? Why were you just hanging out with your sheep? You were tending to your business. Pay attention to your own thing, taking care of your own household, your own concerns. He says, you're just whistling for the flocks. Ignoring what was going on outside of your own field. And when we hear that part of the song, we're meant to say, I don't, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be sitting on the sidelines in Christianity. I don't want to be sitting on the sidelines in the battle that, the God is, that God is calling me to. I don't want to be sitting on the sidelines just worrying about my own field, my own home, my own things, and not being busy about the work that God's calling us to. So it says, why did you come in to join the battle? Join your fellow countrymen. Even though the battle's not in your own fields, it was on your doorstep, and it's incomprehensible that it didn't come. Among the clans of Reuben, there were great statutes or resolutions. It says, it says twice, it says, among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. At the very beginning of verse 15, that, that searchings of heart is different from what it says in, in verse 16. In verse 15, it says, there were great statutes, ordinances. What it means is they made great declarations about what they wanted to do, but all they did was just do that. It's like they sat around in a committee talking about what should be done, and they made a resolution about it, but then they did nothing. Don't let your Christianity, don't let your... Life following God be like that. That's what the song is meant to show us. Don't, don't just sit around making resolutions. Don't just have searchings of heart and good intentions. 
And then it says, Gilead, he stayed behind at the, at, at the Jordan. And Dan stayed with the ships. Asher sat still at the coast. What it's, what we really see here is it's, they were fearful. They were idly sitting by, paying attention to their business, to their trade, to the import and export of ports and ships. They were too busy, busy with their own business and making money to join God's people in fighting for the thing God was calling them to fight. But who's at praise and in, 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 in counter to those who are sitting as inactive and idle? It praises Zebulun and Naphtali. Those who risk their lives to fight the enemy are praised. Literally, it says they despise their lives to the death. And we don't like to think about that. What it means is they didn't count their lives as, as, as something they had to protect. They were willing to say, I'm going to follow the Lord and fight until I die. And that's the attitude that God's people are meant to have in every age. I'm, I, I don't need to protect my life because I can be confident that God holds my life. I don't, I don't have to worry about what's going to happen to me. I don't, I don't have to worry about this physical life because I'm, I want to follow the Lord trusting that he's the one who holds my life ultimately. That's how they could say they literally they despise their life to the death. The question is, are you battling? Are you viewing your life as, as worthy of giving to him because he's given his life for you? Are you battling? David Jackman, he says, surely within the church of Christ we need to and can regain the commitment to the adventure of faith. To prove God's power, to lift our lives beyond the mundane and the ordinary and embrace a cause that is far greater than our own little private world. Surely that's what God's calling us to. And he's, he's giving both sides here. He's saying, don't, don't just be stuck in your own things. Don't be stuck in your own, don't be only concerned with the little things here that God is actually calling you to great things in your ordinary lives. God is calling you to a great adventure. Church, our, our children, they need to see examples of living for Jesus instead of living for ourselves. They need to see us fighting that temptation. Fighting the temptation to live as if this world is all there is, as if, as if the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life is what we should be living for. Lord, let them see that we are living for him and for his kingdom. The question is, will we believe the promises of God and will we step out in faith? Don't... Don't believe the lie the world tells you that if you share the gospel with someone else that, that they're going to shut you down and that it won't be effective. They might shut you down, but you know what? God's, God's gospel is effective. It's powerful. It's, his word is able to pierce the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. His word is powerful, and he calls us to carry it out. And he promises to do the work. The question is, will we step out and follow him and his promises? Or will we sit and debate about what we should do and make resolutions but not take action? You know, if you want to find out what you really believe, find out what you're doing. Will we pursue our own interests? Will we make our business and money-making the thing that's most important? Or will we say, we're going to use these things to do battle? Will we take the easy way or be willing to lift, risk our lives on the field that he's calling us to? Look at, look at verse 22, how Barak battled, by the way. He, he's, he's battling here. Now, he's both a leader, but he's also an individual. So he's battling here, but it starts with him telling himself what's true. Look down in verse 22. He says, you know, he, he talks about what God had done. And then in verse 22, he, he declares, march on my soul with might. What's he doing in this song? 
Why is the song showing us this? Because it's showing us an example of how we fight is by proclaiming the truth to ourselves. March on my soul with might. We need to remind ourselves of what God has done and what God is doing and then tell ourselves the truth and inspire ourselves to march on in response. Don't listen to the lies of the devil. Don't listen to what your negative thoughts tell you. Respond to the truth of God, to the power of God, to the might of God, and then tell your own soul. Speak the truth to yourself. Don't, don't, don't primarily be a listener to that, that voice in your head. He says, no, march on my soul with might. See the works of God and march on. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves to march on. And march on with might, with his might. It's like in Psalm 103, 1 and 2, where, where David sings, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. He's preaching to himself here. What are you preaching to yourself? He says, Bless his holy name, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Maybe the reason why you've become weary while your hands are drooping in the fight is because you've forgotten all those benefits and you need to preach to your soul. Forget not all his benefits. Bless the Lord of my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. We need regular reminders. I, I love that. That's why we have the Lord's Supper given to us. He, he gives us regular reminders. He wants us to do this regularly so that we remember what he has done. Remember the fact that, that Jesus gave his body to conquer the flesh because we could not conquer the flesh. He, he gave his body to, to put to death sin because we could not put to death sin. He shed his blood to make us clean because we couldn't clean ourselves. March on my soul with might. Barak, he marched on following the Lord. And I love the response. It says the hoofbeats of the enemy, they, they were fleeing in retreat, were heard. They were loud. He preaches the truth to himself. He responds to God. God moves and, and the enemy flees. And isn't that what we're called to do? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. His loud hoofbeats of the enemy go away. The battle is the Lord's. What was making them hesitant? Reuben and Gad and Gilead. Maybe it was their weakness. You know, Israel was weaker than their enemy. Maybe our weaknesses make us hesitant, but here's the thing. We don't rely on our weaknesses. We rely on God's strength. Maybe you look at your small numbers, your, your little resources, your little abilities. Maybe it's your little talents, your little intellectual uh, arguments. Maybe you look at those things and you think, that's why I'm just, I'm just going to sit here and be by and let other people take action. No, God's calling us to action, trusting in him to follow his leaders leading us into responding to him, fighting against what he tells us to fight. You see, the enemy, they appeared greater, more powerful, more impressive, but the victory, the power was all God's. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, we, we see that his power is made perfect in our weakness. What we need is to rediscover God's word for our lives. What he says is true, to remind ourselves of the truth. And you can't do that if you're not in God's word. I don't say this condemningly. I say this encouragingly. If you're not in God's word, you're not going to be hearing the truth. You're not going to be responding to the truth. You're not going to be telling your soul the truth. We need God's word to remind ourselves of what's true so we can respond to him in faith. 
sometimes we get to believe these other louder outside voices saying that is too big for us, is too much for us, that maybe there are other battlefronts. Maybe we need to go where commerce is or where politics are or prestige or influence or business. And the question is, do you believe that the gospel is the power of God for salvation in your life and the lives of those you meet? Philippians 3, 3, Paul says, For we are the real circumcision, those who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Our confidence is not in our abilities. Our confidence is in his abilities. Do we believe that? Don't abdicate in the battle. And, and it, tells us, it, it tells us both negatively and positively. He says, look down at verse 23. It says, curse Miraz. This is a town that was probably right in the middle of where the battle was raging. Maybe you're right in the middle of where the battle is raging all around you. He says, curse Miraz, says the angel of the Lord. Curse this and have it thoroughly. And then he says, why? Because they did not come to help. They did nothing. They, they sat there to the help of the Lord against the mighty. They were inactive. Don't think that God is okay with your inactivity, your passivity. He doesn't view that neutrally. He's calling us to actively respond. I don't mean to, condom, to, to, to preach condemnation, but God, God calls us out of our seats, if you will. He calls us to not just rest on our laurels, but to, to respond to him. And then he gives the alternative. He says, he says this, this individual woman God used to, to bring about a great victory, so cursed are those who don't respond. And then he says, what's, what's the, the alternative? Blessed are those. Look in verse 24. Most blessed of women, BJL, the wife of Heber, the Kenite of tent-dwelling women, most blessed. She's called the most blessed because she didn't stay on the sidelines. She engaged. She took initiative. She responded, she fought, she was clever, she slayed the enemy. If you don't know the story, go back and listen to last week's message. She didn't act half-heartedly, she wasn't ambivalent, she wasn't passive, she didn't sit idly by. She was aggressive, she kills the enemy completely. She was clever. She crushes the head of the enemy. And that's the kind of action the reader's being called to. This song is meant to say, let's not be like those people who sat idly by. Let's not be cursed and sit in the middle of a battle raging around us and do nothing about it. Let's, let's respond like the people who volunteered willingly. Let's respond like JL. Let's respond like the leaders led. And let's do battle by resisting the devil and he'll flee from us. We do battle by resisting sin to the point of shedding blood. Hebrews 12, 1 tells us about this kind of not considering our lives as more valuable, despising our lives under the death, as, 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 if you will. Hebrews 12, 1, it says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you might not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted the point of shedding your own blood. All, all the best songs are meant to make us respond. Are you battling in your own life? Are you, are you battling against unbelief? Are you battling against sin? Battling in prayer? Battling the forces of evil with the gospel? Doing what Ephesians 6 tells us. If you've been reading through Ephesians in the study, where it tells us take up the whole armor of God so that you can stand in that evil day. And, and you know, whose armor this is? It's God's armor. Whose battle it is? It's God's battle. Whose victory it is? It's God's victory. Ultimately, the song 
is, is not primarily about the leaders who led, although they were needed, about the people who responded willingly and they were glorious, but, but it's ultimately about the fact that God is the ultimate warrior. That's what we see, the third thing. God is the ultimate warrior. The leaders lead, the people offer themselves, and God is the one who really had the victory. And I love that this kind of pulls the curtain open and explains what really happened. And in, in chapter 4, you don't really see, you just said, Barak rattled them by the edge of the sword. But now we see that, well, only reason how Barak was able to do that is because he, he came down from the mountains, he came down from the high ground, he came down to the valley where, where the enemy was too strong for him. But just at the moment when Barak is coming down, God is orchestrating the heavens. He's causing the earth to quake, and I don't know if there was an actual earthquake, probably so, and he was causing the, the earth to open up. He was, he was also causing the, this, this small little river, and that's why I mentioned it in chapter 4. They, they, were, they were camped out down in the valley near this river Kaishan. Well, at, at the moment that they come down, God causes these great torrents of rain, the clouds to drip, the mountains to pour forth. They were probably mudslides, and, and all these things were happening, and it engulfed the enemy. So whose victory was it really? Yes, the people participated, but it was ultimately God. That's what we see this picture of. It says, and I love the imagery. I love the imagery of, of God, this, this picture of, of who God is. Look down, look in verse four. It says, Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched, God is pictured here as this mighty warrior marching down. In the earth as he's going, God is marching. And as he marches, the earth, the earth trembles. Everything's quaking. The heavens are dropping. The clouds are dropping water. The mountains are quaking. Even Mount Sinai, the holy place. Those, those things, everything is shook up when God comes on the scene. He's the ultimate. He's the mighty warrior. Remember back in verse 14 of chapter 4, Deborah asked, hasn't Yahweh gone out before you? And here it's declared, Lord, when you went out, everything shook. And do you trust that? Do you see that? Do you see that, that God is the ultimate warrior? He is the one who has power ultimately. So yes, we respond in faith to lead, to follow him willingly. But the reality is we can trust that he is the ultimate warrior. He is the one in whom we trust. Michael Wilcox says, here's one distinguishing mark of the people of God. They're vividly aware that their God takes on the gods of Canaan who are intimately concerned with the practicalities of life and he beats them at their own game. It, it talks about you know, the gods of Canaan, they were their fertility gods and they, the fertility happened through rain. And so God beats them at their own game. He's in control in and over and behind everything. I love this imagery in verse 20. It says, from the heaven the stars fault. It's like the very heavens are fighting him. And, and, and most likely, and by the way, in this date here, there was an eclipse that happened somewhere around this time. We know historically. And, and so it says from the heavens, the car starts falling. So things got dark. Waters raged. The earth quaked. It was a great victory. And we know that from the Gospels, there was another time where the sky was darkened and the earth quaked. It was when Christ won the victory on the cross. He conquered completely. And everything got dark. And the earth quaked. And the temple curtain was torn in two, showing that we have access to God. He's conquered every evil power. He's our victor. He's our warrior. He's the one in whom we trust. And I love verse 31. It says, So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends 
Be like the sun as he rises in his might. And by the way, who stops the sun from rising? He says, but your friends, those who, and by the way, Jesus says, the people who are my friends are those who do my commandments, those who follow me, those who obey my word. So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. And the land has rest. You see, following God and his plans, following his word, obeying his commandments, following him, it's he gives us his strength and we'll be like the sun who rises in his might. And, and, and no one is going to stop God's plans for us in our life, even if we die. And I'm guessing the people, some of the people who offered themselves willingly did die in that day. But ultimately, God brought the victory through them. There was the end of that song that I mentioned at the very beginning, Hero. It says, when the house fell asleep, from a book I was led to, a light that I never knew, I want to be your hero. And he spoke to my heart from the moment I prayed, here's a pattern I made for you. I want to be your hero, the real hero, the real warrior. He's God. Ultimately, we're meant to emulate him, to follow him, but ultimately the glory is his. He's the one who has the victory. He's the one who's leading us. He's the one who's calling us. He is the great and ultimate and final warrior. He's calling us to fight, but you know what? He's empowering us. He's enabling us and ultimately has the victory. When we hear a good song, we're meant to respond. How can we respond? Well, if, you, if, if God's given you a gift of leadership or calling you to do that, we want you to respond. Look for ways to lead. If you're saying, I don't know, I'm not sure, then we can respond by prayer. We can respond by looking to God, by following God, by reminding ourselves of his word, what's true. We can respond to his call. We can sing songs of victory. That's why we sing on Sunday mornings. We sing because we need to be reminded of what's true and we want to respond and it encourages us to respond even more. We can respond by singing to the Lord and glorying in his victory. Amen? Well, let's do that now and close in song. Philip, can you come up and we will... Sing a response, reminding ourselves of what is true. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your good word. Thank you for songs that inspire us. Thank you for songs that remind us of the truth. Thank you for the song that you put in our hearts, this desire to follow you. And Lord, will we look to you that you are the hero, you are the warrior, and will we respond to your call and follow you knowing that you've won the victory? Lord, keep us from sitting on the sidelines. Keep us from inactivity, Lord. If there's areas in our life that we become complacent, Lord, awaken us to that, Lord. Help us respond, not in condemnation, but, Lord, with faith that, Lord, you will bring victory. Will we trust in you? Look to you, the great warrior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.